Just a quick note before we get started to say thanks. Thanks to all of our listeners and a special thanks to all of our members of New Club. We started this golf society as a way to enjoy the game of golf with more people in some interesting places. It's actually the same reason we started the bag drop and called it Untold Stories in Golf. We kept meeting interesting people and we wanted to share their story with our members. Uh, so if you have ideas or suggestions for us, please email us. It's membership at newclub.golf. And if you're interested in becoming a member of New Club yourself, visit our website at newclub.golf. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for the support. And we really hope that you continue to enjoy your game. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Considine. Today, I spoke with Rob Collins, the golf course architect and influential force behind Sweetens Cove in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Sweetens is a lot of things to a lot of people. It's a golf course, a social media maven with a sea of raving fans on Twitter, and it's developed this cult-like following from golf geeks and adventurers alike. In Rob's words, Who in the hell would ever come to rural Tennessee to play a nine-hole golf course if it wasn't asking some really unique and interesting questions? What was clear to me almost immediately is that to Rob Collins and a handful of others who went through the bumps and bruises of creating their passion project, Sweetens Cove is much more than his first design or a notch in his belt. Sweetens Cove is part of who Rob Collins is, and to me, that authenticity is what fascinates every one of us and why we start to seek it out. Whether listening to podcasts, reading articles, or dare I say it, getting in the car and going to experience it for ourselves. We decided we couldn't pack all of this conversation into one pot, so this is a two-part series. In part one, Rob and I discuss the creation of Sweetens Cove, touch on some harder times, and he gets at the heart of what it all means to him and the spirit of Sweetens Cove. In part two, Rob and I discuss our first experiences playing the old course at St. Andrews, then Rob walks through some hypotheticals before we return to Sweetens Cove and start looking forward to new club's visit to South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and our spring meeting at the end of April. How's your morning going? Good. We're just actually working on this project at uh, Signal Mountain, uh, doing a practice area renovation up here, and um, it's wet and messy right now, but we're we're having a good time. Yeah, we had. Uh... Some people I know passing through, driving down to the PGA show, and um, they they came by, and I think it was like 20 degrees down there. So you guys finally got winter. Yep, it sure is. It's it's kind of cold and nasty. It's gonna freeze this weekend. We're putting green covers on at Sweetens Cove right now, uh-huh. um, so it's kind of gross. I'm ready for springtime. So that. Uh, that practice range what what's what's that project look like i was talking to uh to uh, trey moon about you know just some courses around the area and he was telling me a little bit about that place what's the what's the um the project so signal mountain is the course i grew up playing and we've done a little bit of work out here before to the third and 17th holes and we got hired about a month ago to rebuild their practice area which was totally antiquated and and didn't really do a good job at all giving the members what they need so we are building a a much larger teeing ground which is actually going to be flat they've never had a flat tee up here um, which the membership will be really excited about and we're building about a 10,000 square foot practice chipping and pitching green with some greenside bunkers and fairway bunker practice and those are things that they've just never had up here so that'll be that'll be really good. That's cool. That's cool. Is it a, yeah. a private club or a public course? It's a private club. Yeah. Yep. Signal Mountain Golf and Country Club. Oh, and then okay. there's another, there's the one that Trey maybe told you about is called Lookout Mountain. And that's the, uh, that's the Seth Rayner course, uh, up on Lookout. That's really good. Yeah. We're, uh, we're, he's going to host us and, and another member will as well. We're going to play there, uh, the day after Sweetens. If we got any energy left in us after, oh, you uh, gotta do it. Yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be there on Sunday. You'll love it. It's cool. Really good. Um, what what draws you to the game? What makes you get a club in your hands? You know, why do you go out and play? Uh, why do you find the game of golf so compelling? I started getting interested in in playing golf when I was in my mid to late teens. I played other sports and growing up and in high school, I, I didn't really play golf regularly at all till 
I was probably 16 or 17 maybe. And I, I think like a lot of people, you know, you just, you hit that one good shot and it, and it hooks you. And I always have really enjoyed the, the pursuit of, of trying to get better at it and trying new things and seeing what works and experimenting with different ways to, you know, try to make your, make your game better. And I think that there's just something about the, the pursuit of playing and trying to improve that, that I love. I think it's something that a lot of people who play golf really enjoy that. And, you know, once you've, hit a few good shots it's it's pretty addictive it's hard to hard to turn away from i think yeah the uh the pursuit is endless you know you can't it, it doesn't matter what aspect of the game it doesn't really stop exactly and, and and you know i also love the you know the camaraderie around the game and and, and having you know playing golf with friends and having fun and you know that's one thing that sweden's cove has really done for my life is it provided me with a lot of great memories and you know fun times that I've had out there with, with our members and, and and other people and and those are sort of invaluable experiences that that I, that I really that I love that you know the golf has given me the opportunity to have and Sweet and Scope has given me that that opportunity to have those kind of experiences. So that that kind of leads in the follow follow up question to what gets you on the golf course. Um, I, I assume you've played, you think you've played Sweetens more than a thousand times? Is that a, uh, that, that's a good, that's a good, good question. I, the, the, the answer is probably way, way, way less than that. I, I don't know. <laughs> I have been to Sweetens well over a thousand times, but I have played it well less than that. I would say, I, I think the guys who like Patrick Boyd and uh, some of our members have definitely played it that much. Mm -hmm. Um, I've found that one of the ironies of the golf business is that you don't play anywhere near as much as you, as you would think. Um, I I spend a lot more time looking at that golf course or doing something to it than I do actually playing it. But I, I have, I've played it a lot. I won't act like I haven't, but, but um, it's probably not as much as people would think. So not not as so, not as much as Patrick. Play, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. It's funny. I mean, you just you just never get to play quite as much as, as you'd like to. But yeah, I think it's okay. pretty common. It seems been the truth for me as well. But um, yeah. with with that group, you know those uh, those those that are fascinated by it, your members that have played it over a thousand times. I mean, I've played a lot of golf courses, and, and how the hell can you play Sweetens more than a thousand times and still absolutely love it like people do? I mean, I've, I, I'm probably speaking from ignorance here because uh, I have not played it, and, and I'm sure my I'll have a better idea once I get down there in April. But uh, until then, how the hell can someone play that course so many times and never get bored? I think that you know one of our – sort of self-imposed directives that we had going into it. And this is what we told the client when we were starting to build it was that we wanted to build a course with as much variety and as much, you know, interest built into it as possible so that the golf course shifted a lot from one round to the next and was constantly asking you different questions, depending upon the angle of approach. And we, you know, we tried really hard to, do things that would that would keep the experience from ever getting stale and you know the best golf course in the world for that is is the old course and i think we just tried to bake as many lessons from from the old course and in courses like that where that you know there's so much variety and so many different questions that are being asked that each time you play you know one time you may accidentally find yourself way over on the left side of the fairway uh, whereas on the previous round you're on the right side, and that's just a completely different question, and so that keeps things fresh. Whereas a lot of golf courses, you know, they're they're not asking many questions, and you know, I think that I think that on approach, on the approach and around the greens in particular, at Sweetens Cove, there's usually at least four ways to to kind of get the ball close to the hole, and that's. I think that's really the, the the main key is that you you always have multiple options in front of you 
um, and different shots you can experiment with and things you can do that aren't really common to other golf experiences. So going around it many, many times never, never gets old. I mean, it's, as far as repeat play goes, it's one of the most interesting courses I've played where, where you just, you don't get sick of it because it's, it's always asking you something else. You just want to keep playing. And also there's so many fun shots you can hit. You know, if, if you try a shot and pull it off one time, you know, you know that you can go back around again and maybe try it again. Or, or if you see, see an opportunity that you had that you missed out on, it makes you want to give it a shot the next time around. So it, it does a lot of stuff like that that just keeps you engaged. So it's it's interesting you mentioned the, the creation of it and, and where you guys started. So that was intentional, right? I mean, did, when you guys were setting out, and, and maybe take me back to the, the creation phase, and I, I'd love to hear more about the, the forces that came together to create it. You know, maybe touch on where you were, uh, personally, professionally, maybe even creatively or artistically, when you, when you started to build this, um, you know, what were, where, where were you at and what other forces had to come together for it to, for it to occur? Well, I was at a, at a place in my life and we first got introduced to this project and it's hard to believe, but it was in uh, the summer, spring and summer of 2010. And we didn't actually start construction until spring of 2011, but I had almost a year from 2010 to 2011 to really think about things. And each hole went through, you know, three or four different iterations in my mind. And I think that having that gap in time was good because I think that the course kind of kept getting better with, with each, you know, new, new idea that, that came about. It was kind of a, it wasn't just the, the first draft that was thrown out there. There was a lot of other drafts that kind of went, went into the, the, the final creation. And, you know, where I was personally was that I was extremely desperate to get back into architecture. And I felt extraordinarily grateful to have this, what I felt like was an amazing opportunity fall in my lap uh, to, to rebuild this old country Quachi Valley Golf and Country Club golf course, uh, you know, at that time, there just wasn't much going on in the States. And, you know, as it turns out that when we were in construction in 2011, 2012, there was probably only four or five other domestic projects going on at the same time. And interestingly, Gil Hines was up at Suwannee rebuilding that nine hole course at the same time we were doing Sweden's Cove. And so, you know, it's pretty funny to think about, you know, there being two rural nine-hole courses going on. Um, you know, that's probably one-third of the golf projects going on in 2011, 2012 domestically. So to have had this opportunity, I was really very fortunate because <laughs> there was just nothing going on. Uh, and I was particularly fortunate that our client, you know, really believed in us and uh believed in our, our vision and our ability to execute it. And, and, you know, they let us go out and, and do our thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that because you know, without Sweden's Cove, I've, we wouldn't have all the, all the opportunities that we have today. And in my mind, going back to that time period, I felt like we had to hit just the biggest home run ever or there wasn't going to be a second opportunity. That was my mindset all along. It was like, we only get, it's a cliche, but we only get one one chance to make a first impression. And if we screw this up, then I'm going to need to find something else to do. And so there was a lot of pressure. Um, and I really wanted to do something that was different. I, I wanted to do something that wasn't like any other course in Tennessee or you know, you know, quite a bit different than a lot of other courses throughout the southeast. Um, it borrows lessons from some of my favorite courses, Pinehurst Number Two and, and Tobacco Road and the old course and things like that. But it's kind of all shaken up and, and put in a blender and spit out, and it's expressed in a, I think, physically and 
you know, the visuals are, are a bit, little bit different than, or quite a bit different than, than a lot of other courses in the region. And I knew that if Sweetens Cove was ever to be successful, um, it had to be a standout experience. You know, we to go out and try to do something that was, you know, just like Chattanooga Golf and Country Club or the Honors Course or something like that, you know, that those things have been done. I mean, we needed to do something that was going to gonna stand on its own two feet and, and provide a, a, a unique and different experience um, for people because who in the hell would ever come to rural Tennessee to play a nine-hole golf course if it wasn't asking some really unique and interesting questions. So every day throughout construction, we were pressing really hard to, you know, have those thoughts become a, a reality on the ground and it was a daily grind that's for sure for quite a while and somehow some way we were able to get it done a couple things a, in there i want to i want to uh unpack because i think uh one do you ever go back and look at the original drafts that you didn't end up building are those like kind of state saved away for a special time in the future you know i've got some old drawings um but I don't really have that many. And in hindsight, I wish I had more because I think given everything that's happened with Sweetens Cove, it would be kind of interesting if I had like draft one, two, three, four. A lot of them were just kind of mental mental notes, you know, um, things I didn't necessarily put down on paper. I, I designed uh, several of the holes, maybe half the holes, you know, three or four different times. And um, some of them were kind of, pretty well set in stone from the get-go. I, I knew number nine. I knew what I wanted on number nine. I had a really good idea about number five. And number four, I had a pretty good idea on. But a lot of the other ones really changed a lot over time. And um, I, I have a few old drawings, which are kind of fun. But um, maybe one day I'll bring those out and put them on Twitter or something. <laughs> I think I think the uh, Twitterverse golf Twitter would definitely eat that <laughs> right up and probably you know find some place some homes for it. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, the the uh, you know when when you talk about it and uh, and and especially that time and thank you for sharing a little bit of like personally where you're at because you know when I've heard you talk in the past there there's certainly you know Sweetens seems like more of a, a course you design uh, to you and and so many others and you know I think there's an attachment you must have, you know, from all the bumps, bruises, uh, the journey that it, it took you to build it. Um, can you maybe take me to some of the, the, the darker times? Cause I know the economy wasn't in the best place, uh, when you guys started and there were some changes in, in, uh, in ownership or, or the relationship of the ownership, leasing it to you. Uh -huh. Um, did uh -huh. you ever consider at, like, was there ever a time where you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. I need to cut bait and look at plan B. Um, was there ever a consideration of, of changing plans at all? Well, there's more times than I can count that I didn't think it was going to work. And I mean, the, the thought of that was just, just devastating to me. I mean, I, I, it makes me sick to my stomach to even think about it. My wife half jokingly, I mean, it's not even a joke, really. She calls Sweetens Cove my third child, which it really is. I, I am so deeply attached to that golf course that, you know, talking about some of the darker times, you know, they, it was extremely difficult um, to get the thing built. There was, there was a lot of things going on in the background that um, with respect to, you know, what the future of the course was going to be um, in the, in the client was kind of wrestling with, with those questions, those big questions. And, and I knew, and Tad knew and a handful of other people who had seen it in, in the dirt and in the, in the construction phase knew how good this place was going to be. And when the cracks started to appear that, you know, quite possibly there was going to be some difficulties from the client's standpoint of getting it off the ground, there were a lot of days when we just didn't know if it was going to fly, um, if it was ever going to see the light of day. And that was, 
gut wrenching. I mean, to to think about, you know, having put all this effort and time into something and and to be on the cusp of, you know, realizing a, a dream of getting a a first solo project in the ground and then having it taken away from you is it's not good. Yeah, oh, it's good. <laughs> pretty pretty damn depressing, really. Yeah, and um and you know I I vividly remember when um you know the client approached me and said you know rob we're gonna you know we're gonna kind of take a step back and and go back to you know doing doing what we do best you know their their core business and um and you know they they asked me are are you this was in august of 2013 you know are you interested in in taking it over and and my first reaction was no, I mean, I want you guys to run it. <laughs> and then, and then I thought about it for about 24 hours, and and I thought, well, I mean, if this thing's ever going to see the light of day, I'm going to have to take this take this plunge. And and I and I met um, Ari Techner from from Scratch Golf, and he and I sort of jumped into it, and you know, we we were able to get this lease done and took it over and. May of 2014, and we over time have added some other partners, and there's there's some really key people who have helped Sweetens get to where it was uh, financially. That you know who provided financial assistance. That you know if they hadn't have done that, it never would have even opened. And um, there was a lot of lot of days that you know. I didn't know if we were going to make it. And I was in pretty much full panic mode in in uh, July and August of 2017 before the before the New York Times article came out. We were just hemorrhaging money and things were not going well. We just weren't getting the play we thought we were going to get. And then the Times article came out, and it all of a sudden it was just a completely different ball game. And we we were able to get through the rest of that year, and then you know we can continued a, a very aggressive growth trend in in 2018, and and we're gonna you know we're gonna make it. And but you know even once we had it open, it, it was it wasn't certain. I was kind of out of out of ammunition, so to speak, in in 2017. So there's been there's been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of anxiety about it. But I've and, I've steadfastly refused to give it up because it means too much to me. I was I mean, if you know, people have said to me like, you know, Rob, maybe it's time to just let it go. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not letting it go. I mean, I, it's going to drag me down with it. That's what's going to happen. I'm not letting it go. If, if it's if I'm gonna, if it's going to get let go, it's going to get let go because I'm forced to let it go. You know, there, there's. I'm not, I'm not letting it go because I'm making a decision. I'm letting it go because I'm. There's just nothing I can do. <laughs> there's so many things people are fascinated with about the place, and uh, to me, this this is maybe the, the one story that I was most curious about. You can tell, I mean, knowing that, you know, you, you came from that place of, of desperation to do this thing that you were so passionate about this, this line of business, designing golf courses, building golf courses. And then, you know, through those years, um, I, I think some people, you know, would see all the, the newer resorts that might pop up of, you know, after the minimalist golf movement and they do so well at the gate, like to, to create enduring art, you know, sometimes you got to come from that place of, of desperation and you have to, to persevere through some tougher times. And I think, I think, I, I know I can relate to it, you know, taking risk in, in, uh, you know, a, a, a job change or, you know, moving to a new city. I think a lot of people can relate to that anxiety, you know, when they just don't know and, and they're passionate about something, but you know, the rest of the world's telling them, Hey, he, are you sure about this? And then you start doubting it. But, uh, man, I think there's, there's a lot of people that are happy that, that you never doubted it, that you kept, um, that you kept pushing through. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said. I, I had a, a professor in graduate school, Pete Melby, who used to 
tell us that he's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta struggle to, to create great art. I mean, that he's like the blues. It was, it was a struggle. It was that, that great music came from struggle. If there hadn't have been the struggle, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been produced. And I, and I've, there's a few times, you know, he would kind of say that to us cause we'd be laboring over a, a project or something and having a hard time getting through it. And he's like, you got to struggle and you got to struggle. That's part of it. And I kind of, I would think about that occasionally. And, um, I think there's a, there's a lot of truth to that, but, you know, I, I think about the risks that, that I've taken personally to, to see it done. And, you know, I know how much that's indicative of how much what we create means to me. Right. And so I get, this is a completely different subject, but I get really pissed off when I just see one great project after another going to the same three guys, you know, mm-hmm. it's just disgusting. I'm, I'm like, these guys have already climbed the mountain. They, they are, they, they complacent isn't the word for it, but they, they don't have the deep down desire to the degree that I have in, in my gut, you know, they, they would not have taken the risks that I took to open a nine hole golf course in rural Tennessee because they didn't, they wouldn't have to, right. Because they're, they're, you know, the guys at the top of the mountain are, they're already there. They don't have to, to do the things that I've had to do to, to build our, our business and build our design firm. And, um, you know, those, those strong desires to are still there and we're going to take that passion and that, you know, that wherewithal to, to our, to our projects. And I'm ready to, I'm ready to break through to the next level. And I think we're getting really, really close to it. Yeah, it it sure seems like it. I mean, your name has been synonymous with Sweetens Cove for me since I first heard about it. And, uh, you know, I think, Unfortunately, better or worse, the golf world is still, you know, looking for, for brand names or people that, that they recognize and, and have that, you know, track record. It is. And, it is. Uh, there, 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 that, that's true. There, there are, but there's, that's about to change. I, there's, we have so many inquiries right now, thanks to Sweden's Cove and thank, you know, thanks to the, every, all the accolades and everything that we're gonna we're on we're on the cusp of of getting to that next level and um i'm i'm it's it's happening right now and i'm really excited about that um you know we'll, we'll see what the next big one is but it's there's a lot that's going on that i i can't really talk about right now but that are i'm hoping we'll have some good announcement i, I get it i get illuminati stuff i understand i know that's all part <laughs> of the sweetens cove experience uh yeah. <laughs> no i think you're, you're totally right i just back up that point with um you know i know we share a mutual acquaintance in andy johnson and uh i've enjoyed the the podcast you've done with him um but you know his recent article on the craft culture uh and yeah, I, really I believe well yeah, yeah it's just really well thought out i know he's been putting a lot of time in that for a long time but it's uh, it's a premise of our business as well, which is just, you know, life's too short. Go out there and experience a lot of different courses, a lot of different course design. Um, see what you like, uh, because everybody's a little different. And, and I think with that and hopefully, like you said, we're on the cusp of it. Uh, a lot more early um, shapers and designers are going to get those chances to, to create and do something really lasting, really cool. So, uh, you know, kudos, kudos, man. It's it's uh, it's fun to look forward. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, we're 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 very excited. I think um, you know, all things being equal, I think that that good, really, really good times are ahead. I, I liken Sweetens Cove to a, a fruit bearing tree, and you know, it's finally the the fruit is is ripening to the point where you know we're starting to get some get some really good opportunities, and and I and I hope that those things happen for for other people who are, are, are lesser known, but, but also have a lot of talent. I mean, ultimately, 
you know, people are going to come play a golf course not because of the name on it, but because of the the quality of it. A, a perfect example of that is Tobacco Road. I mean, they're still a, a, a great thriving business because of the genius of Mike Strantz. If they had hired one of the big names that were there in the late 90s that you could have hired, <laughs> it, it <laughs> well, it would have been way different. It would, well, it would not only would it be different, but they wouldn't be in business. I mean, they're in business because those the owners, Mark and Tony, were smart, and they they took a flyer in some respects on a guy um, who was a little bit less well known, but was going to do something extraordinary, and he did. And as a result, they have a have a successful business. If they had hired, you know big name architect a b or c they you know it would be a different story that, that is, yeah that place is um it's one of the most influential on myself and like what i like because i i was a you know 15 year old kid or 16 year old kid in in high school when we made a little trip down pinehurst from ohio and um that was the place that's the place we still talk about my high school buddies i'm still close with them they they we still just like to talk about shots that were hit that day. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Like those places. I know. Are you would never do that at, at just some random, random place. And I think that I definitely think Andy hit the nail on the head with his article and that the golf world is shifting and people's tastes are shifting with it where there's, there's less value in a, a name and, and more value in, in, in the product. And, and people are, active the the golf world and, and, and golfers millennials in particular are in search of you know more authentic real experiences than you know just just a big name and that's not to say that the big names can't still create great golf courses of course they can but you know there's other people who can too the uh, bef- uh last question on uh the creation of sweetens is there anything about the process when you guys were building that might surprise some people uh, one thing that I think surprises people when I, when I tell them this, like when we're out on the golf course is that, and I, I mean, this has kind of been well publicized at this point. I don't know if it's that much of a surprise, but it, it does seem to still surprise people, but it, the, the land was totally flat. There was only one foot of fall from behind number one green all the way over 600 yards to way over by number nine green and um you know there was it was just completely featureless so that was a that was a big challenge and i mean it's not featureless anymore (laughs) (laughs) it's feature full as i hear that's Um, right yeah and what, 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 so, so walk me through that. This is my naivety. I don't really, I'm not a huge, you know, into the um, architecture and construction scene. So, you know, what, what did it take? Like, what was the equipment that actually it, it, you, you had out there most of the time to, to get those features packed in there? Well, seven and eight were completely, when those two holes were, were built, they were completely balanced with the dirt that was there. Um, all that water on those two holes drains to a drainage ditch that's buried underneath seven and eight fairway. So the shaper that we, we used for the project, of a guy named Gus Grantham, who's this amazingly talented shaper, he, when he built those holes, you know, he would, he would make a cut into the ground and then, you know, that, that dirt would come up and would, you know, the, would, would make a fill. And so it was a cut and fill balance completely on those two holes. On the other holes, we had to dig dig some lakes, um, which is where the where the water drains to, um, and then the, the the dirt that came out of those lakes on number two and number six was used to build up uh, the rest of the golf course and and you know get some elevation so that that the water would would drain off, and it, that's just purely the kind of engineering side of it, but also would you know create some interest and visual interest and shot making interest and so forth um so when we were digging the lakes there were and this was one of the benefits of of the clients that we had is they were they did a lot of construction so they you know had access to a lot of 
big equipment and earth moving equipment and so there was about a month or so month or two months during construction in the summer of 2011 where we were digging these lakes and they were you know loading it that that dirt into trucks and dropping it where it needed to go and um you know gus was such a a dynamo a really a force of nature on the on the bulldozer um that he just he managed all that dirt and was able to keep up with all these guys <laughs> i remember at one point our our client got kind of angry it going you know i've got five six other guys out here and y'all can't keep up with one bulldozer operator i mean that was how good Gus <laughs> was I mean, he was just unbelievable you know he did superhuman things in in the construction of that course and um we only as part of our the king collins deal we were you know really only had you know a hand gus and then we had some a couple other guys come in here and there but gus was the main the main guy from a you know the construction standpoint in the in the shaping and building of the golf course um and and he was just really work some miracles out there and then once the all the dirt was in place then tad my partner came in and he he did the finish work on the the greens and tees and fairways and i and i did the 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 finish work in the in the bunkers um and we also had dan proctor come in uh for part of the project and do some bunker work too which was awesome dan's a a a great guy who was a, a core crenshaw associate and now a good friend of mine. So we we had some really, you know, fortunate to have some really talented people out there, and that's how it all happened. Uh, did you guys bring in much sand uh, other than, you know, top dress? Like, is there was, was there much? Because I, I know its intention was to play firmer and faster. Um, how was that achieved? Well, the again, going back to, you know, the benefit of having the clients that we had, that they own a, a – concrete manufacturing company and as part of that they have a a sand plant and at that sand plant which is up on mont eagle mountain about 25 minutes from the golf course they produce more than enough sand for us to that was excess that they just kind of had to the side that they were we were able to use uh for sand capping on the golf course and that was really essential we sand capped probably an average of about four inches across the golf course and 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 that that's really helped with drainage and and playing firm and fast and everything. So and and of course and then we also have the waste bunkers. You know we estimate that there were probably two thousand loads of sand brought into the golf course wow. during construction. So, okay. Yeah, it's good to have the right to have the right friends in the sand business, right? Man, I tell you what, that it made all the difference in the world. It really did. <laughs> um, all right. So shifting gears into. Uh, the kind of the atmosphere of Sweden's and the spirit of the place, you know, I think it's obviously a golf course. Um, you got, it's a social media darling. I mean, I think it gets a, a lot of love and, and deservingly. So, uh, well, I shouldn't say that cause I haven't been yet, but I, I just feel like a lot of respected opinions all feel, feel strongly about the place and it's growing, you know, with golf avids every day. Um, I actually had a, a buddy in Cork, Ireland, who I haven't talked to since probably 2000. 2010 send me um one of the the articles on you man and i was like this is so cool unbelievable. uh unbelievable. i'm trying to i'm trying to get him to join us in, in april but he's he's complaining oh on, that'd be amazing on, on rates but um uh to, i should say airplane rates not not otherwise right yeah um, sure yeah <laughs> but but anyways i i my question is you know all this tension uh why do you think that has happened other th- other than your design? Why do you think that has happened and why Sweden's, you know, why not someplace else? Could it have been someplace else? Um, and, f- and feel free to take that any- anywhere. I mean, wh- why do you think, why Sweden's? Well, I think at the heart of it, and I, you know, going through the process, you know, we had a goal to build this extremely unique, standalone nine-hole golf course that asked a lot of questions, you know, kind of going back to the first question, um, that, that other courses didn't didn't ask. And I think that 
you know, and I've said this before, I think that a golf course in a lot of ways is a reflection of how much time and effort you put into it. It kind of reflects that energy energy back to you. And because of all of the effort that went into Sweetens and because of its uniqueness, you know, I, I think it just is a it, – it holds its own unique – place it, and um you know as as we got into the operations of the business you know patrick and ari and i and our other partners you know people who had been around and, and seen golf courses and it, we knew how good sweetens cove was just purely as a golf course and early on that just that wasn't good enough for for whatever reason we weren't getting the traffic that that we thought we would get and you know initially you know having a a portable shed and a portalette and and these minimal you know you know parts of the operation were were a real liability and then as time went on and people realized how good sweetens cove was and you know i think that i think that the ranking really helped it. I mean, being, you know, now number 50 modern ahead of a lot of famous places, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, wait, there's a nine hole golf course in rural Tennessee that is, has a portalette and a, and a shed and, uh, you know, a, a small maintenance budget and it's ranked ahead of, you know, the two places where they played the, uh, you know, where they had major championships in 2017. I mean, that's, it's, it's incongruent with it logically. Right. I mean, it just doesn't really make sense. And so I think that people saw that and it realized that, you know, it did deserve that ranking, but that it was like, how is that even possible? And so I think that that started the, that kind of incongruent nature of those two things, started to build a lot of momentum and then as time went on you know Patrick and, and everyone associated with the business we started to realize that these things operationally that were once liabilities almost were starting to become a strength and you know now the shed is like it's kind of become a iconic thing and um, it's just you know, whatever happens in the future at Sweetens Cove, I mean, we do want to actually build a clubhouse and have cabins and, you know, expand our operations and, and be able to do more things. But, you know, the shed needs to be a part of that. I think the shed should, should stay on site and be a be a halfway house where they, you know, serve drinks or something like that. I think there's just these, you know, kind of funny, unique things about Sweetens Cove that have you know, kind of created a, a a story that that people are attracted to, and, and that story has been told by, you know, various magazines and the Golfers Journal, and you know, people like Andy, and um, I, I think that, you know, all of those stories and the the fabric of all that resonate with people because it's authentic. It's not, it's it's not fake. I mean, it's you know, we somehow, some way, because we were forced to, you know, built a level of authenticity into the brand of Sweetens Cove that really, if somebody that did, somebody that had a well-capitalized operation in a, in a good golf course, they would kill for the level of, you know, authenticity that, that's associated with our brand. And, and, but they don't, you can't just buy that. It's not something that you can just, yeah. you can't just hire a PR firm or a marketing firm and throw a bunch of money at it and have a logo and all this and think that that's going to do the trick. And, and that's a lot of, so much of golf is, is inauthentic and is, is just kind of this glossy magazine stuff. that's not really, there, there's nothing behind the eyes, but at Sweetens Cove, it's, this really really good golf course but there's because of <laughs> how things evolved and, and the authenticity associated with that it, it people it resonates with people people get it they buy into it and and 
it's just it's a snowball you know the more yeah. people that going downhill the more people that see it the more it grows and the more it grows the more people see it and it just it's just it's kind of it's it's grown and taken on a life of its own and to have witnessed that and and played a part in that transformation has been really fun and exciting because because there were so many days when it was so uncertain and now it's not no it's not yeah no i, I love that uh, authenticity is, is such a great word for when I hear people talk about it, you know, that that is exactly what resonates uh, with them, but, but not necessarily everyone gets it. Right. I mean, I, I aren't no. some, aren't, aren't some turned off by it. Some people are. And, 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 you know, the golf course wasn't designed or built for, for everyone in a way. I mean, I, I, I think that the golf course, that's true and that's not true. I mean, I think that the golf course asks fundamental questions that are, that are rooted in the, you know, the fundamentals of, of great architecture. And those are things that, that I think do appeal to everyone, but the way it's expressed and, you know, certain things about it, um, you know, I, I think are, are off putting to a certain subset of the the population i mean i wasn't trying trying to to please everyone and you know i think that too many golf courses try to be too much and and you know that that's one of the problems of, of the boom era of, of, of design is that you have these soulless you know creations that don't ask any interesting questions that we're too afraid to do anything um that, that could be perceived as you know being quirky or weird or different and you know as a result you just kind of have these homogeneous boring golf courses everywhere and and you know sweetens was never gonna gonna be that and you know my this kind of as i'm talking about it goes back to my all-time favorite alistair mckenzie quote which was you know after he built the Sitwell Green, which was met with a, a lot of you know, con condemnation in, in certain circles, you know, he wrote, and, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but that um, you know, if you were raised on flat and insipid, featureless golf, then you know, <laughs> you know big surprise that that's that, that you're going to be turned off by something that's uh, out of the ordinary, mm -hmm. and. Um, and so people who maybe haven't been around a lot or haven't seen things, um, you know, might be turned off by something, as Mackenzie said, that is undoubtedly out of the ordinary because it's not what they're accustomed to. And I think we get a little bit of pushback, um, you know, from people like that. Um, I think that, you know, there's a, handful of golf architecture aficionados who in most people who who kind of consider themselves in that area you know that that realm i think most people like that really love sweetens cove but you know there's been a a couple instances where at least from my my standpoint i think that there's some people because of all of the the love and praise for Sweetens Cove. I think that there's a, a handful of people who've tried to kind of poke holes in it, in you know, as a way to for them to kind of you know make themselves the smartest person in the room. Like they figured out why it's really not that great. But yeah, <laughs> so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. But the overall overarching point is is that Sweetens wasn't built to satisfy everyone i knew that it was going to resonate very strongly with a certain part of the golf population i will concede to some surprise of how much it's resonated i mean i it's there's more people that are more turned on by it and get it and love it I think than than I realized would, um, 
you know, I think that I thought it would be probably a little more controversial, controversial than it is. Um, and, you know, I think that part of the reason of that is just there's a, there's an awakening going on in, in, in the golf population, particularly in millennials. And this is, is thanks in large part to guys like Andy, um, you know, in, in golf club Atlas, you know, is a little bit older generation, but you know, there's different, um, ways to educate yourself about architecture and understand why architecture is important. And, um, as people have started to, to learn these kind of the fundamentals and why things matter, um, there's more people, there's more awareness. Therefore people, the, the pump is primed, so to speak, for people to, appreciate what Sweden's Cove is rather than to be turned off by it and go, Ooh, this, you know, this is, this is completely different than the, different, you know, yeah. the courses I play in Atlanta. I mean, why, why, why is this place so weird? <laughs> you know? and, and, but, but, you know, most people don't do that now. They, they come seek us out from Atlanta because we are different. And, um, so I, I think that there, there's, there's an awakening in the, in the golf population, which has really, really benefited Sweetens Cove, and there, there's, you know, like I said, Andy's one of the leaders in that, that, you know, we owe him a big thanks, because people are more, as he says, more woke, they're more aware, and that, that helps Sweetens Cove, you Yeah, know? yeah, no, I, absolutely, I mean, it's, I, th- I think uh, we, we try to preach similar, and, and there's so many resources out there for you to dive into this stuff, and, and not, you know, you don't have to dedicate your whole day to it anymore, you can actually make it part of your life to, uh, to understand it a little bit and appreciate it. You know, I, I've been big on this beginner's mindset for the last couple months, really just looking at things from uh, a beginner standpoint and, you know, try to be just curious about it. Uh, and, and I think if you have that open mind and you go in with a beginner's mind to, to anything, you know, you're going to, um, you're just going to enjoy yourself more and you're going to learn and, and have more fun. I think that's a great point. I, I haven't heard what you're saying in, in terms of that, that exact terminology and beginner's mindset, but I, I, I totally agree with you. My wife and I were having this conversation just the other night. We, we have two, two girls, a, a 13 year old and a nine year old. And, you know, we're watching them learn things and experience things and occasionally struggle with certain things. And we have to teach them you know, how to get through certain situations and, you know, as a parent or an older, uh, you know, their mentor and their parent, you, we've already been through a lot of this stuff. So we take for granted that, you know, they're experiencing a lot of things for the very first time. And so you have to kind of put yourself in their, their mindset and that helps you understand where they're coming from. And, and in the, in the same sense, if, if you, approach new situations with a, you know, rather than being defensive about it or kind of having your walls up, you know, just letting, you know, approaching things and with an open mind, the the beginner mindset, as you said, then you're going to be open to experiencing and enjoying things for, for what they are. And I think that um, there's, a lot of that at, at Sweetens Cove, that, that people have embraced that mindset, maybe without even knowing it, and that's allowed them to appreciate and accept something that is undoubtedly out of the ordinary. That was Rob Collins, golf course architect and creator of Sweetens Cove. Be sure to tune in to part two, where Rob walks us through his dream design hypotheticals, hints at a few new projects, and shares his first impression of the old course at St. Andrews.